just get organised here. Hey, it is an absolute privilege to be out here this morning. Normally on a Sunday morning, look, my wife and I were out the back and impact kids or maybe in jam, preaching to or talking to, sharing with maybe 60 kids. So I'm looking around this morning thinking there's a bit more than 60 and um, you're all looking a little bit older to what I, than what I'm used to, but it's going to be a great morning. You know, I, I, was thinking of, I was actually thinking about some of the messages that I shared out, out the back um, in the last few weeks and thinking how inappropriate they would be to, to, to share out here. It was about two weeks ago, I had this great idea, this great message about just the, how God loves us, but just detests sin, doesn't like sin. So I decided to do this message on poop. And I did this message on poop, I brought it up and I had this, this fake one up on our, on our PowerPoint and the kids just loved it. And I could see that their hearts opened up and just talked about the importance of how, how detestable sin is to God, not using those words. And it was just a great message, it went into the kids, but I recognised this morning that a message like that probably wouldn't work or probably wouldn't be so appropriate. So I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back a bit, but, but, but so it's all good. You know, I, we, Louise and I, we've been involved in kids' ministry for, for quite a number of years. I've, I've probably, I've been saying I've been involved for 10 years, I think for the last couple of years. When I first started, we used to, all the kids used to meet upstairs behind these windows up here. Um, David and Tracy Madsen, for those who remember them, were running the program at that time. It was a great time to come in. They were just handing the baton over uh, to Ali and Steve Roberts, Pastor Ali and Steve, who used to be the kids' pastors in the church here. And so we served under them for a great time. Uh, for, it was a wonderful time, and, um, and now we're carrying the baton, and uh, we, we, we love it out there. We absolutely love it out there. What we, the thing that excites us about it is that with our kids, we're bringing them into an experience of what it is to, 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 uh, to, to know God, to feel his presence. You know, we run, it's almost like we run our own church service out the back there. We have our own worship time, and in the worship time, we, treat, we, we teach the kids. To, to begin to engage God, not just sing songs with their mouths, but begin to engage God with their hearts. And as they engage God with their hearts, what happens is they put a pull on the presence of God, the same way that we do in here. And they, and they pull the presence of God, and the Bible says that if we draw near to God, that God will draw near to us, that his presence will come and fill the, the place. He will inhabit, inhabit the praises of his people. And so what happens is that God's presence comes, the kids are in there, and we just encourage them to just to talk about it. You know, how do you feel right now? Who feels different to what they did when they first came in at the start of the morning? And we get them to put words to describe it. And it's just such a privilege to see kids start to, start to enjoy and hunger after, hunger after his presence. You know, we all need to be that way. But we're not just, um, well, I'm not just a, a, a kids director. And um, it's not all, uh, it's not all a, a bed of roses. It's not all uh, uh, fun and games. I'm also a financial controller for a sawmill company. And as, in our sawmill company, we've got three sawmills around the North Island. And so what happens is, is that um, it's a very demanding job and there's a lot of pressure in the job. It, it sucks a lot of my time. And, and so one of the biggest challenges for me has been balancing the two roles up. There always seems way more stuff to do than time to do it. And there's always pressure. Wherever I look, there's pressure coming for expectations from the kids' ministry, expectations of having to meet with leaders, expectations from my job. And it just seems to be, it's been a real up and down process, a real roller coaster process. And the message I want to share this morning has been birthed a lot out of that. I'm going to talk about one of my personal heroes in the Bible, uh, and one who I, I, just, I could just read the story over and over because I love it so much. I'd love if you've got your Bibles there to turn to Genesis chapter 37 this morning. I want to read the story, just look into a little bit of the life of Joseph. And then just, just bring some stuff through that I believe will be relevant for people here this morning. 
So, in, and, I, and just, I'll be reading from, from the NIV, probably what comes up behind me might be a different version, so we'll just go with whatever happens, but in Genesis chapter 37, starting from halfway through, through verse 2, it says, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilah, the sons of Zulfa, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, who was Jacob, he loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. Just before I go, let's just pray for this morning. I just, I just, you know, there's this thing. You know, I, one thing I love about church is you can have one person up on the stage sharing one message. And you can have 50 people in the room all listening to that one message and the Holy Spirit's moving and God can speak individual messages into people's hearts. So I could share a great message this morning, but unless God comes upon it, unless our hearts are open to receive that, then, then the message would just fall to the ground. I want, I want God to be speaking this morning. So let's just pray. Father, we just lift up your word this morning. Father, we just pray that your word, Father, will be sharp and active this morning, Father, that it will penetrate into our hearts and this morning it would penetrate into our souls, Father, and that you would be speaking by your Holy Spirit to each one of us. Allow us to be open, Father, and let the word be relevant to each, every person here. And we all say, Amen. Very good. Very good. So the story of Joseph, we've, we, we all, most of us here, if not all of us here, would know a lot about Joseph. Joseph was the favorite son. He was, had 11 brothers and, and also a sister. And the Bible tells us how his father loved Joseph more than any of the other siblings. And what happened was his brothers weren't too fond of this. And so the Bible says that his brothers, they, they, they hated Joseph. They grew to hate him over time. And so and what happened in the end is they, their hatred grew to the point where they decided they were going to kill him. They didn't kill him, but they captured him one day. They stripped him of his, his beautiful colored garment and they threw him into a well. After that point, there were some, some Ishmaelite traders who came along. And, they, and they, um, the brothers of Joseph sold him as a slave. And so he was taken to Egypt as a slave and sold to a guy named Potiphar. The Bible said he was one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And what happened was he served in Potiphar's house. And after a period of time of serving in Potiphar's house, the, we're told that Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph. And he, he looked handsome, he looked strong, and she decided that he would be a, a good person to, to, to get together with and she wanted to take him to bed. And Joseph being the man of God that he was, he said he wouldn't do such a thing. And so, being the woman that she was, she cried rape. And, she, and so Joseph was falsely accused and everyone believed her, not Joseph, and Joseph was thrown into a prison. And we know that he spent, spent a, number of, a number of years in that prison and, and then what happened was, through the grace of God and through his ability to interpret dreams, there were two people in that prison, the cupbearer and the baker, they both um, had dreams, Joseph was able to interpret them and the message got out and a couple of years later, what happened was Pharaoh had some dreams that greatly troubled him and he heard the report about Joseph and through that report Joseph was taken out of prison and ended up in the palace. You know, in my, in my role as a kids director and as a, as a, um, a, a financial controller, the whole thing of balancing these two jobs up, it was, it was, for a time it was a horrible situation because what would happen was I would spend long hours, I'd go to work in the morning in the dark, come home in the dark, I would have to, we'd have our four kids at home, we'd do our homework thing, and then what would happen after that is often I'd have to pick myself up and do the whole impact kids thing. And that went, went from, from all the way through the week, on Saturday there was preparation going on, on Sunday we'd have our, we'd have our, um, our impact program out here, we'd, we'd love it, we'd be energised by it, and then we'd go home and we'd drop. We totally dropped. 
And so we would, and then, um, and then we'd pick ourselves up on Monday and back into it again. And it was a situation where I couldn't quite work it out. You know, the Bible talks about how we can't serve two masters. And up to that point, I'd love my job. And, and, and today, I love my job as well. But, but what happened was to balance my, I had, on one side, we were kids directors, and it was something that we were so passionate about. Something that energised us. Something that was so exciting for us. And so we, we would, when we'd work on it, we'd get excited. And I'd get so excited, I'd go into the early hours of the morning sometimes, just, just preparing stuff and getting this sorted. And then I'd pay for it the next morning when I go to work because I was so tired. But what happened was I felt trapped in the situation. I felt trapped and I felt like I couldn't get out of the situation. In many ways, I felt like I was in a prison. And it was in that time that God spoke to me. And he showed me just in the story of Joseph. Joseph was in a prison as well. But through some things that Joseph did and some decisions that he made, what happened was Joseph was able to transform his prison into a palace. Now each one of us here at different times, we have, we have uh, prison-like experiences. And, and sometimes in those prison-like experiences we can shrink back and we can find ourselves captured, trapped in those situations, helpless, unable to get out of them. But God, God, through God, we're able to make decisions and, and, and put things in place like Joseph did to turn our prisons into palaces as well. So if you think, what is a prison? You're probably thinking, well, how is that relevant to me? I'm never going to end up in an Egyptian prison. I'm never going to be thrown in some dungeon in Egypt. Well, if we think, what is a prison? You know, I was just, as I was preparing this, I was just trying to get some, some points to describe what would be a prison experience for us today. And so I was going through those, and I just got four things quickly here. A prison is something that is imposed on us against our will. It's imposed on us against our will. Anyone who goes to prison, if you gave them two options, option A, you're going to prison, option B, you don't have to go to prison, most people, most in their right mind, would say, I'll choose option B, thank you, I won't go to prison. You know, it's, a prison situation is something that is imposed on us, something, a situation we don't want to be in, but but we've got no choice about it. Second point about it is a prison situation is something that we're trapped in, something that we're powerless to change. I'm sure we've all been in situations that we don't want to be in, that we feel trapped in, and we're powerless to change. Joseph was in that situation, and, and I know I've felt in that situation, and I'm sure each one of us here have those times. Third point, a prison is something that confines and brings limitations around us. It stops us from doing the things that we want to do. You know, before I, before I got involved in kids' ministry, I used to play a lot of hockey. I loved playing hockey. And then, and then as the kids grew older, we decided we'd have a family with our four kids, and the kids grew older, and we had ministry commitments, we had work commitments. Hockey had to go out the door, and, and that, was, that was a hard thing. It was almost like I didn't want to let go of that, but I, I couldn't do it anymore. I just Circumstances prevented it. So prison is something that confines us. It stops us doing things we'd love to do. I'm sure a lot of, a lot of us, we would love to, to, to go and, and, and spend three weeks abroad, overseas doing that, but sometimes things limit us or stop us from doing the things we'd love to do. Fourth thing is, is a prison experience is something that robs us of our freedom and robs us of our joy. Robs us of our freedom and our joy. I tell you what, when I was sitting there sometimes at night at work, with the pressure on me, thinking about Impact Kids, not being able to do my work because I was so excited about Impact Kids, and then just pressure coming on, I wasn't feeling too joyful in those situations. So, we, we all have, you know, there's, and there's lots of different things. Our work situation can be a prison-like situation. We could be, 
um, in, in a tough financial situation. That could be a prison-like situation where it limits us, it steals our joy away from us, takes, it puts pressure on us, and, and stops us from doing the things we want to do. I look at the story of Joseph. You know, we all think of Joseph. Joseph had, had um, he was in prison in Egypt. And we think, well, I mean, it's sort of hard to relate to. But I went through, and I, I could just see five foot areas of prison-like experiences for Joseph. You know, that all of us could relate to at least, at least a couple of those. First one was, was the issue of past unresolved issues. You know, the Bible, the Bible tells us about a horrific story of, of, of Joseph's parents, you know, uh, Jacob and Rachel. That Jacob, wanted, he loved Rachel, and, but he ended up marrying Rachel and Rachel's sister Leah. And, and so he didn't love Leah, and he didn't know he wanted to marry her. And you can just imagine this, he thought he was marrying Rachel, and so the bride came, he, he said his vows to the bride, they sort of spent the night together, and what had happened in the process is that his father had switched the brides around because Leah was the older sister. He wanted who to get married first. So he thought he was marrying Rachel and ended up with, with, with Leah. A, a horrible situation. But, but the Bible says also that Jacob didn't love Leah at all. And because he didn't love her is that God opened up her womb and she started to bear children to Jacob. But Rachel's womb was barren. And so what happened was there's this jealousy, this envy thing going on. And so, so there was just this constant contention between the sisters. And it just, it just went horrific because Rachel, in the end, she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. And she was just putting pressure on Jacob. And then they came up with this idea that Rachel would give Jacob her maidservant. So Leah had already had four children. Then Jacob, uh, Rachel's maidservant had two children. Then Leah saw this. She got jealous. And she thought, oh my goodness, now Rachel's getting on the act. What can I do? So Leah gave, gave um, Jacob her maidservant and she had two, ch- two children to Jacob. And then um, Rachel's getting all up and arms about and they were competing over Jacob. And there's a whole jealousy thing going on. whole jealousy thing. And the sad thing was it remained unresolved and continued down to the children. And we, if we look back into Genesis chapter 37, where we were just reading before, it says in verse 4, When his brothers saw that, 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 jo- that their father loved Joseph more than any of them, they hated him. The whole unresolved issue came in. You know, and, and if any of us, have you ever struggled with issues of unforgiveness or, or bitterness or just, just unresolved things of the past? We know how that can press in on us. Just imagine how it would, what it would be like to Joseph. You imagine he's, he's trying to get on with his brothers, but his brothers hate him. There's all this animosity. There's all this unsaid stuff going on. He couldn't have been free. It wouldn't have been a, a, very, a, a, wouldn't have been a fun experience for him. It would have just been constant, constant um, uh, undermining going on and just all this maybe sniggering, maybe stuff being said. So that would have been a terrible prison experience for him. Now, God wants to set us free from those. Another couple of quick things that Joseph faced, one was the family dynamics. Interesting, uh, Joseph, he was the, like, the youngest son, and, and the Bible tells us about how he had two dreams. And, and this was at the start of Genesis 37. He had this dream of one day he was in the field of his brothers, and they were all collecting sheaves of wheat. And well, all of a sudden, Joseph's sheaves stood up, and all his brothers' sheaves, they began to bow down to Joseph's sheaves. And Joseph thought that was a great dream. So in his wisdom, probably lack of wisdom, he decided to share that with his brothers and they didn't like that dream at all. He had a second dream. He had the dream that the sun, the moon and 11 stars were all bowing down to him. Interesting, he shared that dream with his brothers. They didn't like that dream either. But he also shared it with his father. If you look at his father's response, his father's response in here, It says in verse 10 of chapter 37, it says that his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will you, your mother and I and your brothers actually come down and bow before you? His father, his father tried to kill the dream. 
Sometimes our family, our family have perceptions of who we are and our family have perceptions of what we could do. And those perceptions could limit us. He was a younger brother. They didn't think that he, would, he could accomplish much. But our family can have perceptions that can limit us. But it's not their perceptions that count. It's what God says about us. You know, it's what God says. God will speak. God, if we allow God to speak into our hearts, he will speak big dreams into our hearts. He say that we, uh, we could do great things in him. So, that, so when we allow the opinions of others to press in on us and we take great regard of what people say about us, especially our close family members, that can lock us in and prevent us from doing, can put us in a, a prison-like situation and prevent us from doing all that we could do. And, and, and the whole thing, there was just one other one that I'll just share. I could share five, but I'll just interest the time. I'll share one more. It's that whole thing in Potiphar's house. You know, in Potiphar's house, when he went there, he was sold as a slave in the Potiphar's house. And what happened was, he had, to, he had to spend all his time, all his energy throughout the day, he was a slave. He didn't have the freedom to come and go. And that can speak of our job situations, you know. In our job situations, sometimes we can feel trapped in those situations. Sometimes we, we uh, I know what it's like, you go and you, you come back at the end of the day and you're so tired, so exhausted because you give all your energy and all your time. And there's things I miss out on my kids, things at school, uh, where they do um, maybe just different sport events and that sort of stuff they might do during the day. And those whole things, you can miss out on them. And so sometimes our job situations, if we look at them the wrong way, can appear to be a prison situation. Sometimes they are a prison situation, but sometimes they can just appear to be. You know, the thing about Joseph, like I said before, is he was able to take his prison situations and he was always able to, to transcend them, to shift them until they became they became a more like a palace experience. It's interesting with when he went into Potiphar's house. The Bible says that he, was so, he did so well in Potiphar's house that Potiphar put him in charge of his whole house. That Potiphar only needed to concern himself with the food that he ate. Didn't need to concern himself with any other affairs in his household. And you can imagine being an important person, what, all the things that would be going on in his household, but he left it to Joseph. So it's almost like even in that situation that Joseph was extending his influence and he was all, he, I would say that he was, he was turning that prison experience itself into a palace. What is a palace? A palace, I'll write these down again, this is not an exhaustive list, so if you've got some more to add later on, come and see me, I'll add them to my list because I'd love to know as well. But a palace is a place of influence. It's a place that we have, to have a say in decisions. You know, it's so much, it's so much more... Um, more enjoyable, if you're in a situation where you're able to be a part of the decision-making process rather than having decisions forced upon you. So much better. A palace is also, is also a place of leadership, a place of leadership and a place where we can influence the lives of others. And, and often we've got the ability to do that through our own lifestyle, but, but there's, there's, there's such a sense of purpose when we, allow, when we know that our, the way that we live our life, the things that we say, the things that we do, um, that, that they bring blessing to other people, that they bring encouragement to other people, that, that, that other people see us and they're encouraged by what we do, by our lifestyle in there, and other people that they, want to, they, want to, that they feel and they're inspired to be a better person than what they are because of what they see in our lives. A palace is also a place of provision and abundance. You can imagine a palace is that you know, the, the people of the land pay taxes to the king, pay taxes to Pharaoh at that time, and so there's always provision in the house. How great is it to be in a place where, where our, needs, our needs are always met, where there is provision in the house, there's abundance in the house. And a palace is also a spacious place. I've never seen a small pokey palace. All the rooms in the palace are huge. And how good is it to live a life 
where, where we've got space, we've got room to stretch out and grow. We've got rooms to try things, rooms to do this, rooms to get involved over here. And so the whole, you compare a prison situation to a palace situation, I know where I'd rather be. You know, it'd be interesting to, to ask the question, why does God allow us? Why does God allow us to go through a prison-like experience? Why does he allow us to fall in those situations where we, we're, we're put in a situation we don't want to be, where pressure comes in on us, where, where we feel restricted, where our joy is robbed and stripped away from us, where life is no, not fun anymore, where it's hard going? Why does God allow those to happen? There's clear evidence in Scripture that God allows that. You look at the life of, um, you've got Joseph for a start, he was in prison. You look at Jeremiah, they, they threw him down a well and he sunk into the well, sunk into the mud in the well. They left him there to die. He didn't die there, they, some other people pulled him out, but he was left there for quite a time. You look at the likes of the disciples and, and, and all the apostles and that, Paul and Silas, they were whipped, put in chains in prison. Paul himself wrote the New Testament. A lot of, a, a lot of his books were written from, out of a prison experience. God allows the situations to come. Why would God allow those situations to come? It's interesting in Romans 8 verse 28, scripture that a lot of us will know and a scripture that I love, it says that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. That means that any situation that we face, any problem that we encounter, anything that will be going on in our lives or in the lives of those around us, that God can take those situations, He can turn it for the good, and He can use it to bless us. You know, I look back and I, and I see uh, problems and, and, and difficulties that I've had, that Louise and I have had, even that our kids have had, and, and we look back on those situations and we, we see that was a horrible situation to be in, and at the time I just wanted God to just drop down a cord and just pull me out of that situation, put me somewhere else, anywhere else but that situation. But, you know, I look back on it and I recognise what happened, what the changes that took place in my life over that time. God turned those situations for good, and, and, and in many ways, uh, Louise and I, we're the people that we are today because of the difficult situations that we face. I mean, it's the same for each one of us. God will take every situation and turn it for the good for those who love him. You know, I'll say three things. It isn't God's will for us to stay in a prison experience. It isn't his ultimate will for us to stay in a prison experience. He may allow it for a period of time. He may allow the difficulties and the tough situations to come around us, but ultimately it's his will for us to, to get out of that prison experience and be somewhere else. Because he's a God who's good. You know, and when the Bible says that God is good, that means that he is exceedingly good. It means that he is, he is better than good. He is, he is better than what we could actually imagine. His goodness goes beyond measure. The other thing I'll say is that, is that in, those, in those situations, God will use those experiences, like I alluded to, to bring growth in our lives and adjustment in our lives, to position us for where he'd he like us to be placed. So I just want to touch on the things that Joseph did. What did Joseph do in his prison situation? What did Joseph do in his prison experiences that caused him to be, to be taken out of that prison experience and end up in the palace? What decisions did he make? And just three quick ones I'll throw out there, then I'll, just, I'll, I'll touch on two others. One, he took on an attitude of humility. And you'd ask me, well, well how, how, did, how do you know he took on an attitude of humility? It doesn't say in the Bible that, that he was humble. But I will say this, is that in Genesis 39 verse 2, it says this about Joseph and Potiphar's house. It says, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. 
So he prospered in Potiphar's house. In 39, chapter 39, verse 20, this was in prison. The Lord was with him in prison. He showed him kindness, showed Joseph kindness, and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. In the, in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 6, it says this. And this is, this is one of the great verses I love doing out at Impact Kids. We have so much fun with this verse. It says that, that God opposes the proud but favours the humble, or many versions say God gives grace to the humble. That the grace being the empowering presence of God, he gives it to the humble. He opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. So in Impact Kids, what we do when we talk about the story, we'll get a kid and we'll put them on the side of the stage. We'll grab a chocolate bar and we will put it on a table at this side of the stage. And we will tell the kid, you can have that chocolate bar. But, and we'll, we'll might put a kid might put a sign of prize, and we'll say to all the other kids, this is what happens when we have pride in our lives. And, and I'll say, you'll get the chocolate bar, but I'm going to oppose you, because the Bible says that God opposes the proud. And so the kid will go there, and, and, and we'll jump in the way, and he'll try and get this way, and we'll, we'll just be stopping him, because we're bigger than the kids, and that's what's so good. We'll never choose a really big kid, because that could be a problem, so we'll just choose a little one or a medium one. And so what happens, and last time we did this, we had a Rodney Patterson, he did it so well, he not only stopped him, he picked the kid up over his shoulders and took him right down to the back of the room and put him behind the gates. He made it really difficult for him to get back. And so, and then the other side of that is, is, is so God opposes us. He actually contends against us when there's pride in our hearts. And so the other side of that is that he gives grace to, to the humble. He favours the humble. And so we brought someone else, another kid up and say, and say that they, you know, this is what God loves to do to us when we're humble and have humility. And, and the leader runs up picks the kid up and carries them over to the chocolate bar as fast as he can. And he puts the kid down, gets the chocolate bar out, opens the chocolate bar and hands it to him. Great picture of, of that. Great picture of what that means. God was with Joseph in Potiphar's house. He was with him in jail and he, and he put favour and blessing upon him. Joseph had to have humility around his life for that to happen. God was with him. That was the first thing he did. The second thing he did is that Joseph acted with great diligence. And everything that Joseph did, he did well. You know, and in Genesis 39.3, it says God gave Joseph success in everything he did. I'll say this this morning. God will not force success on us. It requires our cooperation. As we make a decision to work hard, as we make a decision to work smart, what will happen is, is that we, we start to cooperate with God. If we decide to, to uh, allow um, a degree of slackness around us, then that will short-circuit the, the degree of blessing that God will bring and the degree of success that he will bring. So we know that Joseph was diligent in what he did. He cooperated with God, and that allowed, him to, to, allowed God room to bring favour around his life. So first thing he did was humility. Second thing was, was he was diligent in what he did. Third thing he did was Joseph upheld God's principles and upheld a standard of integrity. God loves it when we uphold integrity in our life. You know, you think about Potiphar's wife coming on to Joseph. I love Joseph's response. She, uh, he, pushed, he pushed her away and he, he took off out of that place. But the words that he said, in Genesis 39.9 it says, How could I do such a wicked thing and sin? against God. The whole thing about it was Joseph's motivation was upholding that integrity and living by the principles of God. 
And is he allowed to, as he did that in his life consistently, time and time again, where there maybe there were bribes going on in that place, we don't know, where maybe people tried to win his favour through um, uh, 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 unjust means. And Joseph would have said no in those situations. And every situation, he decided that, God, I want to please you in this situation. God, I want you to do, I want to do the things that make you happy and the things that you say that I should be doing. As he did that time and time again, every prison situation that he encountered, every difficult situation that he came in, was almost like God came into those situations. And the forces that were pressing against Joseph in those situations, God was able to come in and he was able to push them out this way and push them out that way. And so what happened was he brought Joseph into a spacious place in every prison situation. He can do the same for us when we decide to uphold his word and live by his principles. Now, this is, this is the this fourth thing. is, is the thing that really, really excited me. You know, I was, just, I was sitting there one day and I was thinking about it. And often when I'm, when I'm contemplating reading through a Bible and I'm contemplating it in that, sometimes I get these random thoughts come into my head. And... And often the thoughts can just be random thoughts and that's like a real random thought and I'll throw that one out. But every once in a while a random thought comes in and just, just it registers in my spirit. Now Joseph was thrown into a prison situation. What happened was he, he was, was forced upon him and he was thrown in that prison situation and often if we're thrown in a prison situation we could sit there and think, God, why have you abandoned me in this, problem, in this issue? Why? It's just not fair, God. God, can you get me out of this place? Joseph, I'll put it this way, this is the words that came into my head. Joseph was thrown into a prison situation and he made the conscious decision to bring God into that situation with him. Joseph took God into prison with him. And again, you could say, how do you know that? If you look at when, when Pharaoh started to have his bad, dream, his bad dreams, <laughs> when Pharaoh had his two dreams, and they were bad dreams because they greatly troubled him. He didn't understand them. They brought fear around his life. Great, great trouble. And Joseph was the man who could interpret those dreams. Joseph came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to him, you know, interpret my dreams. Joseph's response, if you've got your Bible, if you want to look, Genesis 41, 16. This is Joseph's response. I cannot do it. And you're thinking, Joseph, this is your ticket out of here. What are you on about? He said, I cannot do it. Pharaoh's saying, interpret your dreams, and Joseph's saying, I cannot do it. But Joseph goes on. He says, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. There was an assurity in his response that, Pharaoh, I can't do this by myself, but God, God can do this. And there was a confidence that God would come through for him. There was a confidence that this, this, this great, this, this dream that had happened, this thing that could, could totally change Joseph's life significant thing, the head of Egypt, he had confidence that God would come through, that God would answer him. I tell you now, that sort of confidence does not come from someone who doesn't walk with God. How could he have such a confidence that God would come through for him if Joseph wasn't walking through God, with God on a daily basis? And Joseph must have had a daily lifestyle where he would, he would turn his heart towards God, he would talk to God, he would spend time, he would spend time considering the possibilities in God. We, each of us, have got the ability to bring God into our situations. You know, we could be in a bad situation, and what, what happens is, when we invite God into that situation, all of a sudden things can look a little bit differently. Rather than seeing the problems in the situation, rather than seeing the difficulties, rather than seeing the things that, that are pressing on us, are giving us the hard time, or the people who are giving us the hard time, 
All of a sudden, we invite God and God, come into my place. God, help me out in the situation. We start to consider the possibilities. And you might ask, how do we bring God in? Well, there's a scripture in the Bible, Proverbs 16, verse 3. It says, commit your plans to the Lord and they will succeed. I love that verse. I've used that verse so many times and I've faced situations that, that have been freaking me out. <laughs> I get freaked out real easy. I've got, I've got to, I'm working on it. I'm getting better. But there's situations that freak me out. And, uh, and what freaks me out is the possibility of what could go wrong. Worst case scenario, that's the thing that freaks me out. And so I've got to somehow still then, I've learned to do that by committing my plans to him. And so it gives me confidence that if I bring God into the situation, God, I want you to come in here. Have a look at my plans. This is what I'm planning to do. This is my situation, Lord. I need your help here. God, come in now. Help me out. All of a sudden, this faith starts to trickle into my heart. When we invite God into our situations, it can shift the way the situation looks. It can shift our perception of what's going on. The fifth thing that God did, well, fifth God did, Joseph did, was that Joseph held God's promises and his word close to his heart. Okay, so the Bible tells us, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed. God, in the same way that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and created life in Adam, God breathed on his word and created life in his word. That is, his word has life-changing power. We can take God's word and we can use God's word to create faith in our heart. It brings life into our, into our, our spirit and we can use God's word in our situation. Now, the, the, word, that, you know, the, word, of the, the word that's in the, Bible, God, in the Bible, God's word, is God's words to us. Interesting, in Joseph's time, the Bible hadn't been written. The Bible was written in Genesis, which is all, all this is in. It was written sometime after Joseph had died. But, so he didn't have the word. But what, what we do know is that in Genesis 37, it says that Joseph had a dream. And we know he had the two dreams, the sheaves bowing down, the moon and stars bowing down. But Joseph had a dream. Now I've got, this, I've got, I've got a couple of Bibles, but one of my Bibles, it's got this kingdom dynamic section. And this is such a cool section on this verse. You know, it, it says this. It says that um, the Hebrew word for had a dream, because Joseph had a dream. The Hebrew word for had a dream means to bind firmly. Now, dreams from God, it says dreams of God are spiritual experiences that root deeply within our hearts. And this is the bit I love, is, is, is that it could be more accurately written. Rather than saying Joseph had a dream, it could be more accurately written saying that the dream had Joseph. What had happened was there was an encounter that Joseph had with this dream, and, and, and the dream was God-breathed. It was like the word of God to Joseph. Genesis hadn't been written, so Joseph had the word of God through a dream. And so what happened, God, that's the way God spoke. God spoke to Abraham through a dream. He spoke to Jacob through a dream. God spoke the word of God through a dream. We didn't have the written word at that time. And what happens there is, is, is through the Hebrew words there, we can see that dream came and Joseph had it wrapped around his heart, had it wrapped around him. So everywhere he went, he was aware of the dream. Everywhere he went, that dream was there and he couldn't let go of it because it was rooted deep within him. And when we get God's word and, and we begin to spend time in God's word, and, and what happens is if we allow it to wrap around us, it can get, we get it inside of us. There are verses in the Bible and there's whole sections in the Bible that I've learned off by heart at different times. When I've, especially when I've gone through bad experiences. And what's happened was, initially, I'd read it, and I'd go through the words, and I'd say it over and over, and then I would, what would happen is I'd be able to say it without the words. I'd learn it, it off by heart. 
But then as I said it more and more after that, all of a sudden it started to shift the way that I feel. And it started, well, and even now there's verses, oh, I could just say them out here, and there will be excitement come up from inside me because it's God's word. And when we get take God's word and we wrap it around our lives and we hold on to it close to us and we use it in our situations when problems and pressures come against us and we begin to confess God's word, we begin to speak it, speak it out. What happens is it shifts the way we think on situations and it shifts the way we look at situations. Each one of us have been given God's word. We can take that word and use it and apply it in our lives. If Joseph was able to interpret the cupbearer's dream in prison, that in seven days he would be restored to Pharaoh's service, and he was. He was able to interpret the baker's dream, which in seven days it would have his head chopped off, and he did. He was able to interpret Pharaoh's dream about the seven skinny cows and the fat cows and about the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine and and the other dream, surely Joseph could have interpreted his own dreams. Joseph knew what God's word said to him and he held on to that word. And every situation, no matter what bad situation was, he knew what God's promises said about his life. God's given us wonderful promises in his word. And so if we're able to take his word and wrap it around our heart and continually remind ourselves when we're in those prison experiences it will shift the way that we look at those situations and allow us to, to stay in that place of faith. I just want to finish with one more thought. Just before I just repeat those five things. He acted with humility. He was diligent. He upheld God's principles and held, upheld integrity. Number four, he invited God into the prison. He asked God to come into a situation And then also he took God's word and he wrapped it around his heart and his life and he used it, stood on it, day by day. If I ask you, who wrote the book of Genesis? It was Moses. Wrote the first books in the Bible. So, it's interesting that, and it wasn't like Moses was sitting there during Joseph's experience watching what was happening and making notes as Joseph went through these hard times. It wasn't like someone else was sitting there writing notes. What happened was, is that sometime after Joseph had died, God sat down with a um, father-to-son chat with Moses and began to dictate the stories that had took place in Genesis. So the story of Joseph, I mean, we could see there's Joseph's story, but he actually didn't write the story. Moses wrote the story. But it wasn't really Moses' story either. It was God's story. And so we could look at the story of Joseph and we could think, oh, isn't God great? He, he let Joseph go through a bad experience. And then he brought him out at the end and put him in the palace. It wasn't about that though. It was bigger than that. With God, things are always bigger than what we can comprehend or imagine. You look at the story of Joseph. It was a loving God reaching out to a nation of people, the Egyptians and the surrounding nations. And and, and a God who saw ahead and saw seven years of famine coming would be disastrous. Would have been massive loss of life over that time had they not prepared for it. But he looked for a man a man who would say yes to God, a man who would apply those principles, a man who would have humility in his heart, a man who would, who would operate with diligence, a man who would have integrity, a man who would, who would walk with God in those situations and wouldn't exclude God and say, God, you stay out here, this is my situation. And a, God, a man who would, who would hear what God had to say in his word and wrap it around his life. This is what God was looking for. In the book of Isaiah, I think it was 6-8, somewhere around there might be, I think it's 6-8, Isaiah had an encounter with heaven and it says that I heard, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? 
God is always looking for a person. He's looking for a person that he can use. A person who will say yes to God. A person who will operate with the same principles that Joseph operated with. So he can show his, his great extravagant love to a nation of people who don't know him. Each one of us, you know, we can get in our situation and we can get in our prison situations, our tough situations, and we can easily fall into the trap, me included, lots of times, of thinking it's all about us. Thinking of how we've been offended, thinking of how we've been mistreated. Not realising that God, if we, if we bring him into the situation, God is using that situation to shift us, to shape us, to position us, so that he can use us as a, as a vessel to reach out to the people around our lives and, and, and our communities. One last thing. A couple of weeks ago, Revelation came to me. I was running on the road and it came to me and I almost had to sit down on it. <laughs> Crazy, but yeah, that's the way it goes. I was thinking about my job. My job is such a good job. My job is such a good job. There's variety in it. There's, I've got influence. I can shift the atmosphere. The office. I can, uh, I can help build an atmosphere of the office. I can speak into people. I've got authority in the place. I've got just lots of good stuff, and, and, and it's just a great job. I'm actually, I'm actually working in a palace situation. On the side of that, and through the way that I looked at my situation, through the way that that that, that, that I interpreted things, and and I became small-minded and just thought about myself rather than the people around me. I took my palace situation and I turned it into a prison. I took my palace situation and I turned it into a prison. I wonder this morning, are there people here who you, you're looking at your situations and God, get me out of this place. Get me, God, this is just a horrible, horrible situation. I wonder how many people here might actually be in a situation where God has placed you in a situation that will meet your heart. It will meet everything that he's placed inside of you, your, your giftings, your desires, your dreams. He's put you in the situation, but you can't even see it. Because you, you, we all let it happen. We just allow, we, we can't, what's the saying, can't see the wood for the trees and, and, and so on like that. We just can't, we just, we've just missed it. This morning as we finish, I would just love us to close our eyes. You know, there's just lots of prison situations that we could face. Lots of difficult situations we could be in. But the worst situation that we could be in, the worst prison situation we could be in, is a situation where we're separated and cut off from knowing God. I'm going to give an opportunity this morning for anyone here who's never made a decision to receive Jesus as their Savior, never made a decision to be a Christian. And the Bible says, of, of, of those people he loves, that he has rescued us out of the dominion of darkness. He's rescued us out of the prison situation of darkness, being cut off from him, and brought us into the kingdom of his wonderful son whom he loves. This morning, if you have never made a decision to receive Jesus, say yes to Jesus, it, as, to become your Lord, to become your Savior, today would be a great day to do that. I'd love you, if you, at that point where you would like to make that decision, I'd love you just to raise your hand right now. Say, yes, Jesus, I recognise that I am in a prison situation. I'm in a, a, a dark situation. I need you to come in and rescue me. It's just a decision to say yes to Jesus and he'll come in and take you out of that place. Is there anyone here who would like to say yes to Jesus? I just need you to raise your hand just so I can see. 
It's just real easy to move on real quick. But Jesus loves us so much. He's so passionate for us that he would send a man and spent 13 years in Egyptian prison so we could reach out to people who didn't know him. If you were at that place today, I just encourage you one last time to just raise your hand. I believe that there's, there'll be other people here just today. And as I've shared, I believe that God, the Holy Spirit's been moving. God's been speaking to people's hearts. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to finish with one song today. Now, but before we do that, I would just love you. you know, we could easily get to that place where we hear God speaking to us and walk out of this place and forget all about it. Ten minutes will be gone. When God speaks to us at this time, the best decision, oftenly, is to make a response to God and make a fresh commitment to Him to put things in place. The things in place that God will be speaking to you about. So what we're going to do is we go into this last song. We're going to open up the altar here. I'd encourage you, the best place to make a fresh commitment is, and the best, is to make a physical action of coming out of your seat. Just come and standing on the altar. There'll be people to pray for you here if, if, you, if you want prayer. But just, just come up in this last song. Just worship Him. And make it a fresh commitment between you and God. Between you and Him. Amen. Let's all stand together, church. Let's just go into this last song.